0: job, guys. If you have your Bibles, and you would turn this morning to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and today we will be finishing the book of Philippians as as we've gone through this journey in the book of Philippians. So last week we talked about uh, we, we talked about this, this practical counsel. He goes through and just kind of gives a, a last piece of advice, all of kind of a, a lot of really good quality advice in, in nine short verses after talking about reaching forward toward the goal. And I want you to remember these things because they kind of come back to play in this closing passage. Uh, as we get into this closing passage, reaching forward towards God, God's goal and this practical counsel, particularly not to be anxious, and if we will go to God in prayer, that we will have this peace that passes, surpasses all understanding. Because one of the main themes of this passage is contentment. Contentment, being content. Content in all things is, is the, the title of this sermon. And we will come to a verse that is a lot of people's favorite verses, and one of the most popular verses, Philippians four, thirteen. So with that... We're going to read Philippians 4:10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in absence or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone." "...for even in Thessalonica you sp- sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And, th- and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus." Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for this time, this journey we've had in the book of Philippians. And, And Father, I pray as we get to these last verses, this last passage that we're dealing with, I pray that you would help us to see what you have for us here this morning, that you help us to see what you're saying to us, what you're challenging us to do, and how we can be more obedient to you, and how we will be blessed through seeking and being obedient to your word. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing that we see in this passage, the first thing, and I'll give you a little spoiler here, this is the main theme of this passage, even though it. There is some very popular verses and some very good advice. The main theme that we see here is caring for one another in Christ. Paul is expressing his appreciation of the support that the Philippian church has given him. He starts off Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because you once again renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. And then later... We see him come back to this after he has his interlude about contentment that we will get to in a few moments. But Philippians 4:14 4, through 18, "...still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account." But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable gift, pleasing to God. So Paul starts this closing thought, and he ends this closing thought with an appreciation for their support. And we're clear here, we need to be clear, this is financial support. The Philippian church has provided financial support to the Apostle Paul. They have sent him gifts, monetary gifts to help support him, In his work in the gospel. And this really is, as I said, the main point of this passage. He is appreciating them for what they have done, thanking them. And he makes it clear that he does not do this for the money, that this is not that he's appreciative, but he really didn't need it. He's not asking them and and trying to extort them, but he is appreciative for this gift. He says that their gift will profit, that their gift is profit ever increasing to their account. So the gift they give is profit increasing to their account. And we will get to that, and we will discuss that later on. So what we learn from this first portion, what we learn from this, if we're going to follow an example here, if we're going to learn a truth here, is that what we can learn is that we should selflessly support the cause of Christ with our time and money. As we encounter people who are doing the work of Christ, as we encounter people who are sharing the gospel, we should share that and support that, with our time and money. So what does that look like? Those who are missionaries, there are people who leave everything they have, everything they know, their family, their life, their comfort, their safety, and they go to do mission work, to share the gospel in places that are far and near. We should support these people financially. We should support them financially. This is what Paul did in his life. He left, and you can see most Bibles especially if you have a study Bible, we'll have a map of Paul's missionary journey traveling all of these miles across treacherous terrain, across the seas, to share the gospel, to take it far and wide. So we should support the people that do this. We should support people who share the gospel. We should support the local church, this body. You should support your local body of believers as we are in, in the activity in the business of seeking to share the gospel in our local area. And, and others who are actively working on behalf of God, those who are doing ministry, those who are sharing, we should support them financially. And I want to remind you that as a church, we actively support missions all the time. Every time you give to this church through the cooperative program, your offering portions of that are going to actively support missions near and far. Our church is, is partnered in the cooperative program, which means we give a portion of what we have in our budget to the cooperative program, which goes to missions, which goes to, to training pastors, which goes to all sorts of gospel activities. So every gift you give is supporting those doing this work. And then we have the opportunities like the Lottie Moon and the Annie, Ar- Annie Armstrong offerings that go to support missionaries. These are things that we should be doing as Christians And Paul is appreciative of that. And through their example, we should be obedient in that way. I think there's also a precedent here to care for others in the church as they have need. So the Philippians cared for Paul. They gave him monetary support. Why? Because he had need. He was doing this work. He was going, spending his time, his energy, his resources, didn't have the ability to provide for himself in this matter. And so when we see people when we see those around us who are in need, who are Christians, who are seeking <coughs> to follow in obedience what God is calling them to do, we should seek to help and to care for one another as they have need. And so this is where we get to the portion of this passage that most often we remember, most often we think about. Paul goes from this, he's thanking them for their gifts, but he says, not that I had need of anything, he takes an aside from his thankfulness, to make one of the most famous interjections of advice that's ever been given. We are to be content in everything in Christ. We are to be content in everything in Christ. Philippians four eleven through 12. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And, And I know the verse that comes just after these two verses gets a lot of attention, but I want to read these again one more time because that verse makes very little sense without these two verses. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. What does it mean to be content? It's an important word. It's an important state of being that we need to be in, content. Uh, The dictionary definition for, for the adjective, which is what this is, is in a state of peaceful happiness in a state of peaceful happiness. And you can think and place yourself into a memory, most likely, where you are content. One of the most easy places to be content is with your family, right? Maybe it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, and and you're sitting around, you see the kids playing, you see everything's going just the way it ought to be, and you just have a peaceful moment of contentment. One of the most content moments I've had in my life was I remember... Uh, The road trip that we went on when we graduated high school still cannot believe that my parents let me do that. Me and three friends 7,000 miles in 18 days. And we were in Yosemite and I went off of the trail and sat on this rock in in the face of a beautiful huge waterfall. Couldn't hear anything, couldn't see anything else, no people around and just enjoying the beauty of God's creation. Content, peaceful happiness. So Paul says in this passage, I have learned to the secret of being content in all situations, whether I have a little, whether I have a lot. When you have a lot, that's when it's easy, right? When you're sitting well-fed, stomach full, everything you want around you, that's when it's easy to have this peaceful happiness. But how do we find this contentment? How do we find this secret of being content in all situations? We will come back to that, but, but I will share the secret. The secret is Philippians 4:13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And we're going to look at that verse more in depth in a few moments, but that is the secret. We can be content in all situations. He is content in all circumstances whether a little whether a lot because of Christ who strengthens him. Okay? When Christ is our desire and our prize, there is nothing that can shake our happiness. And peace. So in chapter 3, we talked about this, and I reminded you of this. We are reaching forward to God's goal. This is what He admonishes all believers, all who are mature will think this way, that our prize is, is pursuing the heavenly goal in Christ Jesus, right? We talked about this in, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, where we are pursuing our heavenly goal. That is what we're going after. And if that is our goal, if what we're pursuing is Christ we can have this contentment that nothing else can shake. When the goal is Christ, and and He is the the eternal prize we have, through Him we can have this kind of contentment. And, And it would be natural, like last week, that when we have any anxiety, any worry, that if that's our goal, we go to Christ in prayer, and we receive the peace that surpasses understanding. And this is why correctly understanding What our goal is matters so immensely. We have to understand. We have to get that part right. If you miss that part, these things don't make sense. If you're pursuing something else other than the heavenly goal in Christ Jesus, this idea of contentment in all things is unattainable. The only way to be content in all things is to pursue the heavenly goal in Christ having been saved by what Christ has done in pursuing what we have been promised to have. We will not have this contentment and peace if we are seeking something for our fulfillment other than Christ. And the reason I'm emphasizing this so much is because Satan is so deceptive. He is so sneaky and so tricky in the way that he will will twist what you are chasing in this life without you even being aware of it. This world and this culture that we live in is constantly telling us to look for the next thing. To look for the next thing that will satisfy us, the next thing that will fill that hunger, that will fill that thirst. There was even a popular tech company that their slogan at one point was the next big thing. When they would advertise their next product, it was the next big thing. Why? Because it creates a lack of contentment within you. Oh, you're telling me that this thing that I have isn't as good anymore? That There's something else that's better? Well, I need that thing. It's implying that if you get this thing, then you will have it all. But this isn't true, is it? Every day you will face things that will remind you that you don't look like that person looks. You aren't as smart as that person is. You don't have as much money As this person has, your relationship isn't as good as that person's relationship is. You don't parent as well as this person parents. Whatever it may be for you, you will see something to where when you compare yourself, you don't measure up. Satan is a thief of joy. There is an unrealistic, idealistic portrayal of what you are not. And and this idea that it... Puts in in your heart, puts within you is that if you could just be like that person, you could just do this thing, if you could just have that, then you would have contentment, then you would have peace, then you'd be happy. If you could just be like that, this ideal version of yourself, then you'll be happy. This is the American dream, right? That if you work hard, if you put in the time, if you work hard enough, you'll get. You'll get a lot of money, you'll have a good family, everything, you'll have the house, the car, everything you want, and then you will be happy. And it is wonderful that we live in a place where if people will work hard, they can build a life for themselves. But the lie of the American dream is that if you do those things, that you will find happiness, because you will not. If you are seeking your happiness in things, in, in, in trying to be like others, you will not find happiness. You know, we, we've heard of this term, keeping up with the Joneses. Does anybody know where that comes from? Keeping up with the Joneses, right? This idea that you're trying to have as much as the person beside you. There was a comic strip in, in like the 1920s that was called Keeping Up with the Joneses. It's the McGinnis family. And, and, and you don't ever see the Jones family, but every once in a while, the, the wife or, or a, k- a kid will say, well, did you see what the Joneses just got? You need to go ask your boss for a raise so we can get a car like they've got. And it's this mindset that has infiltrated our culture that we see what others have, and we want it. We see what others are doing, what they are like, and we want it. And a lot of times it's fake, right? Social media, this idea of this idealistic, perfect portrayal that you put on social media where everybody's yelling at each other, smile, hey, look at the camera, and then and then you capture a moment. Is it real? Not always. The quote often uh, attributed to Teddy Roosevelt says it very well, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And so this is why I tell you emphatically that if your contentment is dependent on anything other than Christ, you will not have it. If your contentment is dependent on anything other than Christ, you will not have it if your contentment is dependent on your job or your money or your relationships or your ability to do something, to be something, you will not have the contentment you seek. Any goal that you chase in life is fleeting. And even the people, because there are people, one usually, that achieve the pinnacle, right? Somebody's got to be the best of something, right? Someone's the most wealthy, the most whatever you want to fill in the blank. Even the people that achieve the pinnacle can only hold it for a short period of time. Everything in this life is fleeting. I want you to look at the screen. There's a picture of some homes in Detroit. 2009, you see homes that are mostly well-kept, mostly doing all right. And then in 2018, you see what happens. Trees completely haven't overtaken what was once there, what was once livable, beautiful even. The most beautiful person, the most handsome person, that fades. It's fleeting. The wealthy person and the poorest person live in the same place after they die, in the ground. Their wealth doesn't matter, doesn't account for anything. The contentment that you seek is only found in Christ. The contentment you seek is only found in Christ. And in Christ, this is the difficult part. You must learn to be content right where you are. You must learn to be content in Christ right where you are. Contentment in Christ is dependent (coughs) on Christ. Not what we will do or where we will be, but what Christ has done. The, The temptation is to take the rat race that we're all in, right? This idea of going, doing more, trying to be better, trying to fulfill This desire internally, and to trade it for a holy rat race where we're trying to go and do more to be better. If I can just be this good of a Christian, then I will be content. No. Contentment is found in Christ, what He has done for us, for you. So, where you are today, you need to be able to say, because of what Christ has done for me, because the way that Christ has loved me, has given Himself for me, I can be content right where I am. Now, in that contentment, we cannot be complacent. Contentment and complacency are not at all the same thing. Knowing that we have work to do, knowing that we are not where we should be, knowing that God wants to do greater things still in and through our lives, we still must be content where we are. Because our value, our identity, is in Christ and what He has done not what we will do. But that contentment does not make us complacent. While we are content in Christ, we are still actively seeking to be obedient, seeking to follow Him, seeking to become more like Him. God loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. So you can be content in Christ right where you are, But you cannot be content and complacent to stay there. You constantly seek Christ through obedience, seeking to become who God is calling you to be. But your contentment is not dependent on becoming that thing. Your contentment is in Christ. So there should not be a situation in which we are unable to be content in Christ. As we said before, Paul said that the secret to being content in any and every situation is the secret is is that he is able to do all things through Christ who strengthens him. We are capable of all things in Christ. We are capable of all things in Christ. Philippians 4.13 I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the secret of that contentment. How do you face hard, difficult times, having nothing, having everything, losing everything? How do you have that situation? How do you have these things happening in your life and have contentment? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we want to understand what this means, we want to have this this reality in our life, we want to understand the truth of this, We've got to make sure that it's in the context of being content in Christ. There are are many who would take this to mean something else, right? This this verse does not mean that God will grant any wish and ability that we desire. As much as we may want it to. It it, it was very cute the other night. Jada came downstairs and, and shared what Eliza had prayed for. We had just watched the movie Encanto, and, and Eliza prayed that she could have flower powers like the girl in Encanto. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that if you pray for some special ability, some special thing that you want, that God will grant that to you. That, that's what Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25 did. So he was a man who practiced sorcery and, and amazed the Samaritan people. They claimed he, w- he was claiming to be someone great, And he was known as the great power of God. And Philip came and preached the gospel to them. And even Simon believed and was following Philip everywhere, seeing the miracles that he was doing. And he saw that when Peter and John prayed and laid hands on the new believers, they received the Holy Spirit. So what did he do? He offered them money. He said, hey, here, take some money so I can have this power to lay hands on people and to give them the Holy Spirit. And they rebuked him. They said his heart was not right with God and told him to repent so that he would not continue to be poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. You see, if we approach God as as a genie to grant wishes, to give us these desires, that's not a good thing. What has happened? Why, Why would we approach God in that way? Because our goal is offline. What is the goal? Pursuing the prize the heavenly prize in Christ Jesus. If that's our goal, and we're pursuing that, we can do all things that will come before us in that goal. Right? Contextually, all things does not refer to any arbitrary task that we might have or want to do. We, we don't decide, I'm going to run a marathon, or I'm going to climb Everest. Why? Because I can do all things in Christ. The great conundrum of this verse for people that have that mindset is when two teams or sports teams that play each other. They, they have Christians on both sides that claim the verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Was the problem that one didn't have enough faith? No, the problem is that it was a misapplication of this verse. It has nothing to do with God empowering us to do the things we desire and want. What does it mean? Context determines meanings. We must remember what our goal is. That this means that in the pursuit of our goal there is not anything that we will not be able to overcome. As we are pursuing the heavenly goal in Christ Jesus there is not anything we will encounter that we cannot overcome. When enemies surround us, when friends and family abandon us, when people betray us, when everything seems lost, we remember I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we have contentment and we have peace. Why? Because we are pursuing the heavenly goal in Christ Jesus. We are pursuing what we ought to be pursuing, and we know that because of what He has done, our future is secured. This does not mean that it will be easy. This does not promise a life that is smooth with no difficulty, but it means that in all circumstances, you can endure and overcome. You can be content in all things, because Christ is with you. When we are pursuing Christ, when we are living our life for Him, there is not anything we will face or any situation we cannot overcome and be content through. We must remain focused on what we are pursuing. It is in this pursuit that we find contentment, pursuing the heavenly goal in Christ Jesus. Because if we get distracted, if we pursue other things, we will find that our contentment is not as sure. Our contentment is not as grounded. Why? Because we're not pursuing the one through whom we find our contentment. This assurance and conquering is within the will of God. We should seek. We should not seek our own things and expect the same results. There, there's the common saying that you've heard: "If if God feels far away, who moved?" If you aren't having the peace, you aren't having the contentment. You're struggling, and you you seem to be to be flailing in your your misery and, and, and hopelessness, seek Christ. Seek Him for the contentment. Because when we are solely focused on God and living for Him, we can be confident that God will supply our needs. So after this amazing interjection, and that's really what these verses have been, this idea of contentment, is an interjection about how Paul lives his life that even if they didn't give him these gifts... That he could be content, but he's thankful for them. He goes in in, in Philippians four, nineteen to talk about how they will com- be completely supplied in Christ, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul continually mentioned to them that their aid provided that their aid they provided him was increasing to their account. So Philippians four seventeen, not that I seek the gift but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account going on to Philippians 4:18 but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance I am fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you provided a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God Paul's view of their gift is as though they have really given to God rather than to him I think this is a proper view of this act because the Philippians are submitting their money to God and supporting the one who is doing the gospel work through the word, through the world. So the Philippians are being stewards of money that they are recognizing as already God's and they recognize that in obedience to God is supporting Paul in his missionary efforts. And so because of that, Paul says this is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. God is pleased because of what they have done. And he says, and through this, because of this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most twisted thoughts in Scripture today. This idea that if you give and support the mission of God, which is true, and you should do, that your needs will be met and supplied in Christ Jesus, which is true, and you should do. How is it twisted? That if you support people who claim to be doing the ministry of God, that God will give you an abundance in Christ Jesus. It's not what this says. But you've heard that. You've heard this idea of the prosperity gospel. You need to be aware of it. I have heard blatantly people that tell people that say, Sow a seed of faith in our ministry, a thousand, ten thousand, whatever you can do, even if it's your last dollar, sow it in faith, and God will give back to you ten times what you sowed. What does this scripture say? That because of their obedience, and that's all they were seeking to do is to be obedient, God will supply all their needs in Christ Jesus. Paul says that God will supply their needs in Christ Jesus. We should rebuke and and stay away from any teacher that tells you that if you are obedient to God, He will give you an abundance in monetary value. That is not what following God and obedience is about. Sometimes God blesses, and sometimes we should count any monetary blessing we have as coming from God, but we don't give expecting to receive. We give from obedience. But again, we see what, what, what Paul actually says here. Paul says that God will supply their needs in Christ Jesus. This echoes what Christ says in Matthew six thirty-one through 33. So don't worry saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The promise here is that if we are faithfully following Christ, God will meet our needs in Christ Jesus. This is biblical. That if we follow Christ, seek first His kingdom, seek first obedience, supporting others, doing what God calls us to, He will meet our needs in Christ Jesus. We can trust this and we should believe this. But before we talk about how God can and does do this, let's first understand some things. God will supply our needs in Christ Jesus. We need to ask, what are needs? What do we need? And we talk a lot with with children about this. There's a difference between needs and wants. When, when you, you take a child to the grocery store and they're like, Mom, I need this. Dad, I need this candy. I need this toy. I need this thing. No, you don't need that. You want that. The reality, at, at, the older I get, the more I realize that we don't really ever grow up. We just change what we want, right? The toys get bigger and more expensive, What do we need in this life? If you were to look at your budget, what you spend your money on, how many things in that list are real, legitimate needs? And even in the needs category, are they needs to the extent at which you consume them? Let me explain. What are the, 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 this has been, again, we've talked about how we live in a world that pushes us to more, more, excess, the next best thing. The essential things, right? What do we need in this life? We need food, water, shelter, clothes, transportation. right? And In this world, even, even communication to some point, you have to be able, if you want to have a job, you want to be able to exist, you have to have some level more of communication than other places. But to what extent? We should recognize how blessed we are in this world. When we look at what other people live, what they need and the, the, the way those needs are met, our meeting of needs is in far excess of others. Our homes that we need, we need shelter, are, are great and large and immaculate. Our, our food that we, we need, we get to go places where it's prepared for us and it's delicious. and People bring it to us. The water that we drink, we get on tap and it's clean and it's safe to drink. The transportation that we have is more than just our feet. We have our own vehicles that can take us from places, even if gas is a little expensive right now. The needs that we have are very minimal compared to what most of us enjoy on a regular basis. So when we talk about this, when we look at this, this idea of God meeting our needs, this doesn't mean that you're going to get exactly what the world might say you need. Because what you, the world says you need might be what you want. But the truth, and what we can hope and believe, is that if we're faithful to Christ, if we're trusting in Him, God will meet our needs in Christ Jesus. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to abandon us. Jesus told us this. Paul told us this. God will meet our needs. But we need to manage our expectations of what our needs are, to be realistic, to understand and through this, we should submit all that we are and have as good stewards in Christ. If we're worried about our needs being met, we need to probably first at some times look at how we can scale back our living, scale back our life, and make sure that the things we're doing are not in excess. If you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, but you've got all sorts of bills and, 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 and things that you're chasing in your life that aren't necessary, I think some priorities are a little out of order. We need to make sure that we are submitting all we are and all we have as good stewards in Christ. And this is not a name it and claim it. We don't just say, I'm I'm trusting that God will give me exactly this thing that I want, this new, bigger, better thing. No. God will supply and meet our needs. So what does it look like? How does this happen? How can we (coughs) believe that this is true? Most often, I believe very, very truthfully this should be a function of his church. The church should be God's hands and feet in meeting the needs of believers in this life. Paul had many needs. He was in want. He was in desperate situations. Who met his needs? The church. The Philippians. The, the people that came. As Paul said, when no other church supported him, they did. And so when we come into places and we come into times where we have trouble, when, we have, when we're struggling, who should be the people that meet our needs in the name of Christ? It should be the church. When people of the church fall in hard times, it is the duty of the body of Christ to care for those at that time. Acts 2, 44-45 says this, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed The proceeds to all as any had need. The church should be in the business of making sure that everyone has their needs met. We've seen this very clearly in Scripture. It it says in the book of James that if any person says to his brother, go and be well fed and warm, doesn't do anything to, to meet his needs, how can he say that he's following God, that he's loved his brother. As a church, if you have needs, we want to be able, as best we are able, to meet them. And if you have excess, you should want to meet the needs of your Christian brothers and sisters. This is what it means to be in the family, the body of Christ. Why would we do such a thing? Why would we be so humble as to ask for help when we need it? Why would we be so giving as to give help to others when they need it? Because our goal is in heaven, not here. If your goal is to amass wealth for yourself, it makes no sense to give it away. But your goal isn't here if you're following Christ. It's in heaven. And so when you have excess and others have nothing, God calls you to care for those who are in need. So the first thing, is this should be a function of His church. That is what we as believers should do for one another. Not expecting anything in return, not expecting anything, any blessing, not that we're going to go give someone so that we'll receive it back tenfold. No. Blessing, loving, because of what Christ has done for us, and because of what our goal is. But the second thing we see, and I believe this fully, is His divine providence. God is living and active. He's involved in this world. And there are times when, even though it doesn't make sense, even though no one comes to our aid, I fully believe that God can and will meet our needs in Christ Jesus through His divine providence because He says He will. And I think the church should step up and do it first, but even if they don't, even if no one is able at that point in time through His divine providence, He will meet our needs in Christ Jesus. And through all of this, we should remember the greatest need that Christ has met, the greatest way that God has intervened in our lives, and that is through salvation. Because the greatest thing that we needed was to be forgiven for our sins. The greatest debt we could not pay, that no one could pay for us, no amount of work, no amount of effort could do is to to wipe away the debt that is owed because of our sin. We were all estranged, far off, cut off from God because of our own sinfulness. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way where there was no way. He came, lived a life we could not, died on the cross, took our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is what, if you are a Christian here this morning, you have hoped in. If you believed and trusted in what Jesus has done, that is what you hope in and you know. So it should be easy to believe that he will meet all of your needs in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I ask you and I challenge you, are you content? Are you living a life that is filled with peaceful happiness, contentment in all situations? Maybe, good, maybe things are going good right now. If tomorrow they weren't, would you be content? Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe the, the, this has not been an easy life right now for you. There is contentment in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, this morning, I want to make sure that you understand this contentment I'm talking about is for those who've believed in Jesus Christ because the first thing, the first need, You have that must be met is the need of salvation in Christ. If you've been living your life trying to be a good person, you've been living your life trying to check off boxes. I go to church, I give a little bit, I try to do the right things, I try not to do the wrong things. You're still missing the mark. Every person misses the mark and is unable to save themselves. And what I challenge you with this morning is if you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented and believed in what He has done, ask Him to, to save you, to forgive you for your sins. My prayer is that today would be the day. Because if you're trying to make up for it, you're trying to live in a way to justify yourself, you will never be able to do it, and you will never have peace. And the contentment you will find this morning is the contentment that's available through the blood of of Jesus Christ. So in a few moments, we're going to have a time where we're going to stand and we're going to worship and the altar will be open if you need to pray. And and I'll be down here if you need prayer to pray about what's going on in your life or if you need to pray and ask God to save you for the first time. Don't let anything hold you back, but come forward and receive what Christ has already done. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you For what you've done for us and we thank you for the contentment we can have in you that no matter what happens no matter what we face that through Christ we can do all things because he strengthens us God I pray that you would convict us to be generous you'd convict us to love one another to to be willing to come to one another when we have need God, I pray that you would convict any, if they don't have a relationship with you, to come to you today. Lord, we just thank you for all that we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?